part of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hey, good morning, y'all. It's Adam Keller here on Shop Talk, brought to you by The Valley Labor Report. It's Thursday, June 29th. I do have an episode for you that I'm excited to share. Uh, We'll be pressing play here in just a moment. Uh, Just a point of personal privilege and quick programming note before we get into the episode. Uh, Sorry for the late start this morning. Uh, We do aim to start at 9.30 a.m. on uh, Thursday mornings, but uh, as y'all have noticed uh, over the last few weeks, my schedule has been very erratic, and so it's been difficult to stay true to that time. I was actually working with my IATSE 900 sisters and brothers yesterday and last night. I I didn't get home till about 3 o'clock this morning. And so my apologies, but I did oversleep a little bit this morning. That's why we are starting late. Um, And I I just wanted to kind of mention on that note, I mention it later in the episode, but um, the schedule has been quite difficult this summer, so I do apologize for the inconsistencies in there. Uh, what we've noticed is that most people who are listening to Shop Talk or watching Shop Talk are doing it after it's live, uh, and we don't necessarily have a lot of folks who are tuning in live. And so hopefully the the start time is not really a big deal. Um, if you've noticed, most of the content that we have on Shop Talk is pretty evergreen. It's not necessarily breaking news or anything like that. Uh, it's content that you can come back to whenever. And so... Uh, just wanted to put that out there. Uh, it's It's been difficult to maintain the schedule this summer, and it doesn't look to be easing up any, uh, but we're going to do our best to provide high-quality uh, content every single week uh, and continue to bring you good episodes like today. Uh, it is a really good episode with Ellen David Friedman. Today's our Labor Notes episode. So I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do uh, have any time in the studio this week. So I went ahead and recorded the entire episode, uh, which you will hear momentarily. Uh, But just wanted to apologize for the late start, let folks know what's going on. Um, I do have some extra work this summer that has come down the pike, which I'm very thankful for. And I'm doing some organizing work and and, uh, a couple hours away from here. And so, you know, it's been a busy summer. It's been a good summer, though. Uh, And for the Valley Labor Report, uh, we just came back from Chattanooga, which I'll mention later in the episode. Uh, And next month in July, we'll be in Orange Beach for the Gulf Gulf for the Alabama Building Trades uh, Convention. Uh, All the uh, trade unions in the state are going to be getting together down at uh, Gulf Shores, Orange Beach area. And so we'll be there as special guests to speak and to uh, get to get to know some folks and hopefully uh, spread the word about what we're trying to do here on the Valley Labor Report, which is provide independent working class media by and for the labor movement here in Alabama and across the South. So without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to my episode I recorded with Ellen David Friedman from Labor Notes. Uh, really looking forward to, to y'all checking this out. I, I appreciate uh, all all who have listened regularly over the last few weeks of Shop Talk, uh, I don't think you'll be disappointed by this interview. So, uh, with that said, let me know what you think. Hey, good morning, y'all. Welcome to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Adam Keller, and this is Shop Talk, our new Thursday morning episode we're producing every week with a focus on labor education, history, and training. It's Thursday, June 29th, and we're broadcasting live-ish from Spice Radio Studio in the heart of the Tennessee Valley in Huntsville, Alabama. Every episode is live-streamed on YouTube and Facebook and is released on your favorite podcasting platform in the coming days. 
Today on the show, I interview Ellen David Freeman. Uh, she is a retired organizer for Vermont NEA and a member of the Labor Notes Board. So Ellen David Friedman is joining me for an interview uh, to talk about what to do when your union breaks your heart. And I think this will be a must listen for all union activists and allies. So definitely stay tuned. At the Valley Labor Report, we are big fans of Labor Notes. Labor Notes is a media and organizing project that since 1979 has been the voice of union activists who want to put the movement back in the labor movement. Through their magazine, website, books, conferences, and workshops, Labor Notes promotes organizing, aggressive strategies to fight concessions, alliances with worker centers, and unions that are run by their members. Labor Notes is also a network of rank-and-file members, local union leaders, and labor activists who know the labor movement is worth fighting for. They encourage connections between workers in different unions, worker centers, communities, industries, and countries to strengthen the movement from the bottom up. With 40 years of movement building behind them, Labor Notes exist as a resource for leaders and union members who want to chart a new course for the labor movement. At the Valley Labor Report, we are proud subscribers and supporters. We encourage our listeners to do the same. Go to labornotes.org to find out more. So regular listeners will know that I plug Labor Notes every week and share their upcoming training opportunities. We truly appreciate their sponsorship of Shop Talk, uh, but also the work that they do. Each month on Shop Talk, the goal, the goal is to have one Labor Notes featured episode every month where we talk to someone from the Labor Notes crew, or we do a deep dive on a Steward's Corner article, or we do a preview of some of the great workshops that they provide. Uh, as a union activist, I can't recommend Labor Notes enough. And so I'm really looking forward to today's episode with Ellen David Friedman. Uh, I think it's going to be a great conversation. And uh, one final programming note, uh, as you'll notice, I'm not in Spice Radio Studio right now. I'm in a hotel in Chattanooga, Tennessee on June 22nd. Uh, so Jacob and I are in Chattanooga. We are covering the Southeastern States District Council for the iron workers. Uh, they, the iron workers are having their big competition for apprenticeship, uh, their apprentices. And so locals from all over the Southeast are here in Chattanooga. Uh, we really appreciate uh, Brother Jeb Miles and Iron Workers 477 out of Tuscumbia for the invitation. And so we got a chance to speak to the delegates yesterday morning. And today we will be out uh, checking out the competition and seeing all the great work that these guys are doing. Uh, so uh, excited to talk about that on the show. But that's why uh, we're we're had a couple, you know, episodes where I've been out of town uh, and we've had to change the dynamics a little bit. So do apologize about that. Um, and to be honest with with the audience, uh, a lot of the summer is up in flux. Uh, I've got some other traveling that I have to do for work. Um, I have some new work coming down the pike uh, that I'm excited to announce soon. And so, uh, yeah, the summer's kind of in flux, uh, shop talk, we're doing our best to maintain some consistency, uh, which is why I'm, I'm going ahead and pre-recording this interview today to ensure that uh, we have a good episode for Thursday, June 29th. Uh, so with that out of the way, uh, we are going to talk with Ellen about what to do when your union breaks your heart. Welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. This is Adam Keller here, and I have Ellen David Friedman. Thank you so much for joining us on the Valley Labor Report Shop Talk. A great, great pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. So before we really get going, would you mind introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your background and your journey in the labor movement? You bet. Um, I've been a union organizer for almost 50 years. I came into the movement in the early 1970s. I'd finished finished college, and I kind of always knew that I this is where I wanted to be. Um, I had the idea very, very early in my life 
that will, well, none of us survive without working. Like everybody's got to work. So somehow I got the idea this was pretty damn basic and we should pay attention to it. Um, and fortunately there is a lot written and a lot understood about how work is organized, what it means to the workers, what it means to the economy. And I was really drawn by the idea that people who work should get a lot of respect and a lot of benefit um, and a lot of dignity in their work lives. Uh, it was pretty clear to me, even as a child, that that was not true. And, you know, I grew up during the period of the, the kind of the heyday of the civil rights movement in the 1950s and 60s. So it was quite obvious to me that there were different classes of workers who were treated very differently. Um, <clears throat> my mother tells the story that my report card in first grade, I think they came home and the comment from the teacher was, well, Ellen is, is well liked by the other children because she, um, she always wants things to be fair. <laughs> so I, I think that was pretty funny. But anyway, that, that was a start for me, the idea of fairness. <clears throat> so anyway, I've been in a movement for a long, long time. I've worked as a, an organizer. Um, I grew up in New York, but lived in Vermont for most of my adult life and worked for, uh, the municipal employees union, for the electrical workers union, and then finally, was drawn to the teachers union and worked for the National Education Association in Vermont, which, uh, so the NEA is actually the largest union in the U.S. and has over, over 3 million members and, um, you know, represents mostly public school employees, teachers, uh, teaching assistants, custodians, bus drivers, uh, secretaries, clerical workers, and so on. And, for me, that was a fantastic experience because it's a union that at the time, and, and still is, uh, it's very decentralized and kind of democratic, meaning it was uh, each local was expected to take care of its own business, which I really liked. Um, so it was a, what we think of as a bottom-up union rather than a top-down union. Anyway, so I... I did that uh, for 20 years and then took an unexpected turn in my life. My husband and I ended up going to live and work in China for 10 years. Wow. Yeah, it was a little bit expected um, between 2005 and 2015. Kind of an interesting story, but I ended up working in many, many different levels and layers of the labor movement in China. Um, and... Um, but things had begun to change in about 2013 when uh, Xi Jinping came to power. Uh, it would, the openness of the environment that we had enjoyed closed down. And I was uh, visited by National Security Police in 2015 and told I had to leave the country. I'd been waiting for it, so I wasn't that surprised. Anyway, since then, so more or less for the last 10 years, um, I'm retired and I volunteer full time in the labor movement through the platform of Labor Notes. And Labor Notes, which some of your listeners, uh, your audience may know, is a, a project about 45 years old. It was founded in the late 70s and we um, do a monthly magazine, publish books. Here's the magazine right here. And we, uh, we publish books have conferences and meetings, do training and consultation. And the purpose of Labor Notes is put the movement back in the labor movement. Um, we strongly believe that all workers need unions. doesn't matter where you are, what kind of work you do, big or small, doesn't matter. The rights of workers um, are only one and only protected when workers themselves get together talk about what they need, figure out how they're going to go after it and how, the, and how to fight for it. They have to learn how to fight often because it's scary to do. And then to um, protect their right to have an opinion about things at work and to have a voice at work. So uh, that's, that's what Labor Notes does. It has been, for me, a North Star in my world for as long as I can remember. 
And uh, it's been a great honor. I've been serving as the chair of the board uh, of the project for almost 10 years, I guess. Um, That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So there's there's a lot there that I've, you know, that resonated with me. Uh, I also grew up really for the underdog and I was always kind of the shortest kid in class. And so I think that was sort of, uh, you know, had that underdog chip on my shoulder, even my foot favorite football team is an underdog, you know, and so I think that just sort of, uh, I can, I can really relate to that, uh, you know, your, your early childhood there and, um, your work for labor notes, of course, uh, labor notes has been a North star for me as well. And particularly here in the South where, uh, you know, labor maybe is not as prominent in the culture. Uh, having labor notes as a resource has just been huge. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if I'd mentioned to you off air, but I am a former UNISERV director uh, down here in Alabama. So, you know, your work with educators definitely uh, speaks to me. Glad to hear about your experiences in Vermont. Uh, one of these days, we'll talk about my experiences in Alabama. I'd, a little I'd bit different. <laughs> I'd love to hear about that. You bet. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one thing that you have done through Labor Notes is write quite a few articles uh, for the Stewards Corner, which we've mentioned on this show before. It's a great resource, uh, really handy, like training type material. So talk to us about your work with Stewards Corner and, you know, why do you do that? Why is that important, do you think? Yeah, uh, thank you for that. And um, so glad to hear about your, your background <laughs> uh, in, the, in the NEA in Alabama. Um, there is a lot for us, I think, to learn about um, how the labor movement actually works from the experience in the public schools. Uh, maybe we can return to that at another time. But one of the things it taught me, which response to your question about the stewards corner is that um, when we have unions, they are not like insurance companies. They shouldn't mm. be like insurance companies. Um, unfortunately, many of our unions act like insurance companies. And I saw sometimes see that in, in NEA uh, union locals and, and others. And by that, we mean you know, you you become a member because you're, you are worried about getting in trouble and you pay your dues, which is kind of like paying an insurance premium. And then mm. if you get in trouble, you want to call someone, call your Uniserve director, call Adam and say, Adam, can you help me? And it's like filing a claim. And then Adam does some paperwork or talks to a lawyer and and hopefully you get it fixed. So Oof, uh, boy, you're, you're bringing, bringing back memories for me. <laughs> I'm sure it's bringing back some scary memories too, because some of the problems that members have, you know, they're very serious. I mean, some are some are small problems, uh, some are problems of their own making. You know, if you're going to like persist in not doing your job or coming in late or getting high during the day, whatever, you shouldn't be doing that. Um, but then some of them are really serious problems that have to do with all the abuse. Uh, that workers take at work, but, you know, unfair treatment, short staffing, heavy workloads, um, not getting the breaks you need, not getting the resources you need, not getting the support you need, all kind of bullying bosses. There are many problems, right? So for me, Stewards Connor are a wonderful conversation to have with working people and union members who read the magazine um, because they are very, very practical. They're very concrete, and they try and not only answer questions that people face in their daily work lives, um, but kind of hand them the tools in the toolbox um, and say, look, here are some things that have worked. You might want to give some of these things a try. It doesn't have to be exactly like this. You're going to adapt it to your own situation. But here's a tool you can actually pick up. So the idea, really, of the Stewart's Corner is you don't need to be a lawyer. You don't need to be an expert. You don't need to be a union staffer. You don't even need to have been in your union for years and years and years. These Most of the things that we put into Stewart Corner are pretty common sense, easy to understand, easy to, easy to try out. 
And so the goal whenever I write uh, a steward's corner is that, you know, I just I just finished one that maybe will be up in the next month or so um, about open bargaining. So open bargaining is something a lot of people have been talking about for the last few years. Um, but why I wanted to write the steward's corner is to make clear it's not just open bargaining at the bargaining table. That's like the end. Mm. But it begins it in way, way, way earlier than that. In fact, it should happen every day. I think that might be the title I put to it, sort of open bargaining every day. Um, and then so I listed about six or seven different phases of bargaining, including first, how do you educate members about what's in the contract? How do you get discussion going? See what's important to members encourage members to read and to learn about the contract themselves identify what's not working and what's not good in the contract what do you want to improve and then you go to surveying well surveying is not just one and done um you know send somebody a paper survey or a <clears throat> or an electronic survey but i talk about how surveying can be part of a long dialogue process where you have one-on-one -on -one conversations, then get people into small groups together to talk about not only what are their priorities and they care about as individuals, they got to hear what other people care about. Right. And they got to grapple with that themselves, you know, in, in a group um, to agree on what are the things we share, what are our shared priorities. Otherwise, if we're just carrying our own individual interests into bargaining, the boss is going to use that and divide us against each other. They're going to give something to the senior workers that's going to hurt the junior. The, this category, this shift, and anyway. Right. So I go on and on and on in that in that vein, and that's that's just an example of the kind of stewards' corners we write. Yeah, absolutely, and and I love that they are accessible in common sense. It's not something that's you know it's not like reading, you know, a grad school assignment. You know, it's very down to earth uh practical and i you know going back to the education aspect of things as a teacher i found that i had the most success when i was sharing lesson plans with teacher other teachers and bouncing ideas off each other and like hey what worked in your class maybe what worked in the other subject or a younger grade or older grade and uh you know i think sharing our best practices as union members and, and union leaders is just so so important uh for the reasons you listed works and and the other thing is that i think that the basis of really good strong unionism is a very high degree of respect for your co-workers and respect for yourself um and i know that often in our workplaces we're encouraged really to compete with each other and competition is the opposite of unionism right we should be building so the example you just offered is a very important one um and I think we emphasize that in Stuart Connors too, is like how you get together and share your experiences, learn from each other, respect each other's experience. It's, it's the basis of uh, solidarity. Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> so as I mentioned earlier in the show, Labor Notes has some great workshops. And at the end of the show, I am going to share, you know, the upcoming opportunities that are out there right now this summer. Uh, one of the workshops I've heard a lot of great things about is what to do when your union breaks your heart. And it is a potentially controversial workshop, obviously. And I mean, honest conversations can be tough. Honest conversations can make enemies. I know how that feels, and I'm sure most folks listening do too. But despite all that, it's worth it because if we can't keep it real about where we're at and, and where we've been, if we can't be honest about the past and the present, we have no hope for shaping the future in a positive direction. So that's why I think it's important that we have these kinds of conversations rather than just, you know, keep our head in the sand, even if it's maybe the more convenient thing to do sometimes. Yes, it can make people and sponsors uncomfortable, but it's critical to the growing and the strengthening of this labor movement that working people in this country so urgently need. So with my preamble out of the way, Ellen, I'd love for you to take it away and talk to us about what to do when your union breaks your heart. Uh, Adam, that was that was beautifully put. Um, I agree with you entirely. This is a subject that does sometimes make us uh, nervous. 
But here's the other thing that we discovered about it. It's something everyone wants to talk about. So the reason these workshops were started is because I, I wrote a Stewart's Connor. Um, it must have been right before the pandemic, I think, really got going. I know it was a val. It came out on a Valentine's Day issue, so February, maybe 2020, and it got an extraordinary amount of, of likes and shares. We we were all shocked, and um, you know what it basically said is, look, many many union members at one time or another have had their heart broken, um, either. They eagerly joined a union, um, thinking that there was going to be some way to get involved, some way for them to, to learn new things, gain some skills, to, to work with other union members on solving problems, but found out that that's not actually what their union did, that they mm. couldn't manage to find a way to get involved. Or they had a great idea, and they tried to promote it inside the union, and were kind of shut shut down or shut out by sometimes staff or elected leaders. Or they had a very, very serious problem. Uh, maybe they and coworkers had a serious problem and they really thought the union should help them figure it out, fight for them, but that didn't happen. Y'all we certainly know the problems that union members face when they discover that their uh that their union leaders are corrupt. Uh, there's been a lot of that in U.S. labor history, and um, two of the two of our largest, most important industrial unions, um, the Teamsters and the United Auto Workers, it, it took groups of members, rank and file members, getting themselves into caucuses, which are you know internal groups inside unions that are trying to fix their unions. Um, in the Teamsters, it's Teamsters for Democratic Union, and in the United Auto Workers, a group called UAWD, which stands for Unite All Workers for Democracy. In both cases, these members had to go to the U.S. Justice Department and say, you got to get rid of our corrupt leaders. We, we can't seem to do it from below, but they're, they're taking money, they're stealing the members' money, they're, you know, they're colluding with the boss. So those are very serious examples of heartbreak, but it's often much smaller than that. It's, um, you know, you're a union member, a contract's being bargained, you don't hear anything about it, you're not asked for your opinion. The next thing you know, you know, the president of the bargaining team comes out and it's not a good deal. It's not what you need. It's not strong enough and you feel like the union leadership is too close to the boss. So there are all kinds of reasons your heart might be broken. Um, and what we say about it is that's good. It's, it's good that your heart is broken because it means that you have an idea that the union could be better. Mm. You know, yes. for your heart to be broken, <laughs> it means you had to have an idea of something else. Right. And so we kind of start with that and say, you are right if you have a different idea of unionism. We agree with you. We think unions can be better. They are, many of them are better. And we also have seen unions uh, change and reform over time and become better. So what, how do you do that? And that's what we, what I talked about in the article. And then, as I said, there was so much response. We decided to offer it as a, as a monthly online workshop. I've been doing that I don't know, maybe for a year or so, and uh, hundreds of people sign up. It's always kind of amazing to see, and we all pile into a Zoom room together, and, you know, I I just conduct a dialogue and um, ask who who in the room is there because they've got some, you know, burning problem they need to talk about, and someone will put up their hands, and off, and off we go. So the What's been interesting, very interesting about it is that, first of all, people come from every single part of the country and, mm. and Canada. We, we've had people on from, from uh, the UK, from Sweden, from Mexico, um, from every industry, from every union. But just 
cuts across. Um, sometimes I'm quite surprised uh, in the last half year or so, there's been a lot, a lot of cultural workers like um, stage and theater workers, people who work construction in the theater mm. industry. Um, I was on the phone um, yesterday with someone who was following up, had been in one of these workshops, and sometimes we'll ask for a follow-up conversation. And this guy is, a, is um, I think, an opera singer and um, is in a union and wanted to, wanted to talk about how to fix some problems. So it's quite varied. But there are some themes, and um, those themes include, first and foremost, uh, don't, you may be really unhappy, you may be justified in being really unhappy, but don't just blame it on, you know, we've got a bad president, or we got bad elected leaders, um, or we have a bad business agent or staffer. Uh, that's that's not a good enough explanation. And also, even if you changed that, if you let's say you elected a new president, it may not be enough. Mm. We really believe, we've seen this after many years of experience, that how things change and improve is by changing the culture of your union from All the right. bottom up. All right. And that is a... Um, Hang on a minute, Adam. I got to take a quick pause. So as I was saying, it's never enough to just change like leadership at the top. We really are thinking about how we change the culture of the union starting at the bottom and building upwards. The, the two goals that we always have in mind, I would say, in labor notes and when we talk with, with union members, are one, uh, we're trying to build unions that are really democratic and inclusive, where the ideas of all the members are welcome. Well, of course, that's going to lead to debate. It should. I mean, we're very different. Right. People have different ideas and needs and priorities. And so the job of the union should be to make a, make a space for people to listen to each other, to debate, to disagree, and ultimately to figure out how to agree on something. I'm not going to agree on everything, but can you agree on some things so that you can get some work done and solve some problems? So for us, we, we call that democratic unionism. We're not talking about the Democratic Party, of course. We're talking about a way of being together. Right. And there are ways to do it. Like, first of all, maybe your union doesn't hold meetings. Well, as a member, you should encourage meetings to get people, you know, get your coworkers together and say, don't you think it'd be good if we had regular meetings so we can guide the union and find out what the union is doing? Um, <clears throat> so it can be as simple as that. And you can try different ways to encourage your leadership to schedule uh, meetings. Sometimes in the bylaws, it says there shall be meetings, you know, every month or four times a year or something. So if that's in your bylaws, you can go to your your officers and say, hey, we'd like you to schedule a meeting. Or there are uh, almost every union constitution or bylaws will have a way for special meetings to be held. You know, you right. Things like that. So and, you and this is a good time to say, to remind folks that if you're trying to get involved or you're trying to make a difference in your union, knowing your constitution and bylaws, any policies, any any official documents that are supposed to govern the union, you ought to know those. Uh, and it's possible you might learn them better than the folks who uh, are in charge. That is certainly a possibility. But, you know, whether that's the case or not, it's, it's important to know the rules that your union has. And I, I, so I really encourage folks when you're early in this process study those documents, learn them, uh, learn what you like, what you don't like about it, uh, but learn how, how it's supposed to operate. Totally agree, Adam. And um, for some people, I'm sorry to say, for some union members, they've never seen a copy of their bylaws, and maybe they've asked for a copy, but nobody's going to give it to them. 
Um, just so you know, it is it is a law in the United States. We know there are a lot of laws that are never followed or never enforced, but it happens to be a law um, that comes under <clears throat> what we refer to as the, the Union Members' Bill of Rights, um, which we, is has different names, but it comes under what we call the LMRDA, the Labor Management Reporting and Disclosure Act, um, which says that certain things have got to be made available to union members, including your constitution bylaws, and that union members have to be allowed to vote on their officers. They, they have a right to financial disclosure. So there are a few basic things. So I'm glad you pointed that out. Yeah, absolutely. And um, anyway, so we cover all kinds of different um, topics, but most often we start with talk to your coworkers. Uh, there's one thing I say over and over again, which is stop looking up and start looking out. You know, lots of times we think, you know, as workers, we're always thinking a lot about the boss. What's the boss doing? How are they messing things up for this? What, you know? Why are they so horrible? Whatever. We're thinking about the boss. And in our unions, we're often thinking about our union leadership. Our advice really is don't pay so much attention to them up there. They already have power. They're using their power in the way they have chosen to use it. If you don't like how they're using their power, the answer is you figure out how to build your own power. And mm. it's at the bottom. It's mm. with your coworkers. So talking to your coworkers is always going to be the first step to heal your heartbreak. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think so too. I think that's huge. And I mean, I think there's going to be your natural reaction uh, of of hurt, of sadness, of uh, you know. There's going to be some folks who would say, "Why don't you just quit your union?" And, you know, I think I've encountered those conversations uh, with workers, you know, in right to work environments, open shop environments. They don't have to, to belong. They don't have to even pay fees. And so if they have a bad experience. You know, we have a very consumer oriented culture. And like you said, a lot of a lot of unions reinforce the view, unfortunately, of themselves as like an insurance agency. Well, what do you do if Geico or Progressive or, you know, these insurance agencies aren't up to snuff. Oh, well, as a customer, you just pick up and leave, All right? You, you find an alternative. And of course, with a union, maybe there's not an alternative, but the alternative for some people is just, you know, no membership at all. Uh, and so I think it's so urgent and important that folks recognize that, you know, unions are human institutions. And like any human institution is going to have flaws, is going to feature bad humans occasionally, uh, or humans that are not behaving, you know, the way we want them to behave. But that's not an excuse to abandon the institution um, or to to give up on the institution. It's more we have to recognize issues where, when they they arise and and like you said, work together to solve those. Um, okay. and, and I love what you said about you know looking out, not up, and, and building your own power. If if you're not happy with the way power is situated currently, uh, then the task is to build your own power. You can't run away from the power and hide from it and, and think that that's going to solve the issue because it, it won't. It just won't. It, it will not leave you better off as an individual worker, uh, but it certainly won't leave the collective better off uh, if you if you ditch the union. Right. So I think, you know, you've got to look at it both from your individual point of view. You're better off sticking with the union, but so is everybody else. Uh, and, and what what you could do in having those conversations um, could be huge, could transform a lot of people's lives. Absolutely. And, and there's there's one other thing I think to add to it, which is, you bet a lot of people think, uh, I don't like this, I'm just going to quit. Obviously, that doesn't make anything better. Um, but the other thing that we're really seeing a lot of now is, I don't like this job. I'm going to quit this job and go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. and, and now what I think I'm beginning to see is that more and more people are realizing, oh, it's not really better anywhere else. Like maybe, you know, I'm 32 and I've already had 17 jobs or something, right? That means you've had some life experience 
and you've begun to see there are patterns. Right. And one of the patterns that I think people, particularly, I would say people in their, their 20s and 30s right now are seeing is, oh, it's not better anywhere. There's similar patterns everywhere. There are these bullying bosses. They're micromanaging. We're understaffed. The, our, you know, the wages are really flatlined. I can't afford to live. You know, I'm still living in my parents' basement, whatever. So that I think the attitude is starting to change to say, well, I better stay and fight. And, um, this is incredibly exciting, uh, for, well, it should be exciting for all of us. Very exciting for those of us that, um, came into the labor movement in the sixties and seventies, which was a fighting labor movement at that time, but then kind of went into a really deep dive for most of my adult life, unfortunately. But is definitely so. The bad news right now in our society, and really in many, many places around the world, is that um, the economy, as it has developed since the last financial crisis, since 2008, is one of increasing inequality and increasing desperation for the great majority of people. So as we know, the rich are getting much, much, much richer and much more politically powerful, you know, controlling the Supreme Court, changing voting rules, ignoring, like, look at, look at Starbucks and how they've been able to ignore the fact that hundreds of their stores have unionized and they still haven't bargained a single contract. So right. there's way, way, way too much power in the hands of the elites, but it's gotten much rougher for everybody else, including especially, I would say, people in the generation under the age of about 35 or so. So that's the bad news. And the good news is, as we're seeing it in labor notes, and I know many, many people are who are paying attention to the labor movement, it's showing up with a tremendous surge of organizing, especially among young people. Um, I've had this unexpected but great pleasure of working in the last few years with uh, college students who were organizing undergraduate student worker unions. Wow. So before the pandemic, I think there were two undergrad student unions. And now I think there are like 25 or more. It, it's kind of astonishing. Yeah, that's fantastic. Isn't that great? And these are undergrads you know, most undergrads have to work these days, uh, and they're not not for experience, right? They're they're working to be able to try and keep out of terrifying debt, right? So you know, they work in library or as residential advisors or in the dining services or grounds, you know, in labs, different things, um, and it pays very low, and they're carrying their car load, you know, and trying to maintain their own lives so this has been a really exciting wave of organizing and some of them it's 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 also interesting some of them are, are joining um you know parent unions and affiliating with them and some of them are organizing independent unions which is a great experiment there has been an amazing expansion of graduate student unions mm. and graduate student strikes so that's been become a particular hobby of mine in the last few years. And they're the biggest, um, well, certainly the biggest strike of, of last year, um, the biggest higher education strike in U.S. history happened in the University of California system, where all graduate workers, nearly 50,000, were on strike for six weeks. Uh, there have been graduate student strikes. Um, at uh, Columbia University, at Rutgers, at Temple, um, the University of Michigan grad students are, went on strike in March and they're, they're still on strike. They're going to probably go into the fall still on strike. Mm. So this is, this is a vibrant growing part of our labor movement. Um, and of course, as we know, it's happening elsewhere. There's a lot of Retail clerks, retail workers, uh, hospitality, hotel and hospitality, restaurant workers, 
um, are organizing manufacturing, it's continuing to organize. Um, we know that in existing unions, like the Teamsters Union at UPS, obviously you, you and your your audience knows are gearing up for what will very likely be a truly powerful PS strike in August. So not only is the labor movement kind of really coming back to life, but it is tilted in the direction of a lot of young workers. Um, and so these are, um, I would say some of these are people who they're not going to stand for heartbreaking unions. They get a right. union that's breaking their heart. They're going to say, "No, I got to do something about this." Right. It's it's a promising moment. I think so too, because it's it's like you said, it's not just that there's new organizing and new campaigns that are happening. It's that it's in in total, you know brand new areas of the of the economy of the society, and. It is. It does seem like there is a, a an energy behind the more democratic part of our movement, the more reform minded and you know maybe progressive minded you know folks in the labor movement, and, and seeing the success of reformers within the Teamsters and the UAW and, and elsewhere, I think is inspiring a lot of folks to you know to take on uh, issues in their own union and, and try to try to make things better there. And I, I, I agree with you. I think you're right, and I hope you're right. Um, that this, you know, this wave, this new generation of folks getting involved in labor uh, are looking for something bigger and better and stronger than, you know, we've had in a long time. Um, and, and I think all working people, regardless of age, we need that. And we're depending on that. We we need a strong labor movement to address the issues in, in the society. As you mentioned, the the rampant inequality, the corruption, the greed. Uh, the exploitation and oppression that so many of us are facing in this country with with these needs, we need collective organization. And so unions are that's the key. And that's why we do what we do on our show. I know that's why Labor Notes does what y'all do. And, um, you know, I, I'm glad we could we could have some hopeful uh, conversation as well. I know we're talking about, you know, unions breaking our hearts, but I, I, I'm glad you brought up, you know, the the positive vibes that that we're seeing right now. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I would say that that contributions like you are making with this with this program that you do um absolutely cannot be underestimated. Like I have seen over and over and over again some worker, particularly young worker, who maybe never exposed to a union, has no like idea of labor history, maybe their parents or grandparents were never in a union. Um, but they'll say, oh, oh yeah, I, I I heard something. I heard a podcast or I listened to a show or I read an article and it made me start thinking. So we know that programs like this and you know some of the work that Labor Notes does are an essential part of, as I say, sp spreading the good word. Mm -hmm. And um, we're especially impressed, obviously, at Labor Notes with the uh, the work of the Valley Labor Report because, as you said, as everybody knows, labor is a somewhat stronger presence in certain parts of the country, but in in the Deep South, it has it has not been for all kinds of reasons that we well understand, and so the fact that there is um, this, this clear insurgency going on now, uh, you know, a lot of different experimentation happening in the, in the southern part of the U.S. Um, is, can be certainly laid at the doorstep of people's hunger to see change. And when they open their eyes and look around, they can see something like your program or they can, you know, see something like a labor notes offering because uh, nobody Nobody can really figure all of this out on their own, not because they can't think it through, not because people aren't capable of thinking it through, but because the feeling of isolation and powerlessness can be so strong. Mm. They'll just give up. They'll just say, why bother? Until you hear someone talk about it and say, oh, yeah, you know, it's not just me. It's not just it's happening here and here and here. And this is what people are doing to change it. And that's. That's what's the, often the spark. Right. You're Absolutely. 
Well, thank you. Thank you for that. And we appreciate that. We we love Labor Notes and uh, appreciate the work that y'all do. And, uh, you know, the mantra is educate, agitate, organize. Well, educate comes first for a reason. And I, I think, um, you know, both of us with our education backgrounds, I think that also shapes our, our approach to this work as well. But um, it's critical that working people join together and, and organize. And you're going to experience heartbreak, I think, that is often part of the process, uh, but we have to be resilient. And resiliency comes from community, I think. And what you're speaking about with the isolation and you know alienation that so many of us feel uh, in this current environment, coming together with your coworkers, building those relationships in solidarity and, and in struggle uh, is a very powerful countervailing force to that alienation and isolation. So. Um, that's that's what I recommend for folks. Uh, don't try to fight the boss alone. Work together uh, and don't give up on your union, even when it messes up, uh, because ultimately you and your coworkers can make it better and, and build the union you deserve. So, uh, Ellen, was there anything else that you, you had to share with us this morning? Maybe just one more thing in closing, um, be because this heartbreak workshop has, has gotten such an overwhelming response, we've decided to add another monthly workshop, which I'll be leading. The first one is on July 6th, and it'll be on the, I, it may be on the Labor Notes website as of today. You can register. It's a, it's a free online workshop, and it's called Caucus How To. And wow. The reason we're offering this is because building caucuses, rank and file caucuses inside of a union that isn't working well seems to be a really good corrective. Um, as I mentioned before, Teamsters for Democratic Union is a caucus. UAWD is a caucus. I happen to have been uh, fortunate enough to work with a network of caucuses in teacher unions, both NEA and AFT teacher unions been building for about 10 years called UCOR, the United Caucuses of Rank-and-File Educators. And it includes caucuses like in Chicago and Los Angeles and New York and Philadelphia, but also San Antonio and, you know, Dallas and in Baltimore and many different parts of the country. And these are just rank-and-file members who are trying to improve their union, make it more democratic turn it into a fighting union, make it more progressive, which unions but should be. Um, anyway, it, it's going to be uh, helping people once they've gotten over their heartbreak. If you want to build a caucus, here's some help on that. So that's awesome. Your your listeners are, are, are certainly welcome to check that out. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ellen. I, I've enjoyed the conversation. I appreciate all your work for the movement uh, and, and hope to speak with you again soon. I'll look forward to it, Adam. Thank you. Thank Take you. Care. All right, folks. So that was my interview with Ellen David Friedman with Labor Notes. Uh, really enjoyed that. Hope you did as well. Hope you will check out those workshops she mentioned. Uh, so there are a couple other workshops and training opportunities from Labor Notes that are coming up. Uh, one that we haven't mentioned so far is Labor and Disability Justice Towards Solidarity. It's occurring on June 28th, uh, 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern. It's done online via Zoom. It is a free uh, workshop, and it really sounds like more, uh, honestly, of a, of a dialogue and just a space for discussion. Uh, so for folks who are, are in the disability community, uh, are you know, labor organizers, activists want to learn more about disability at work. Uh, definitely encourage you to check that out. I uh, also want to recommend an uh, upcoming event Labor Notes is putting on uh, July 10th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It's called The Assault on Pensions and How to Fight Back. Uh, so this workshop is going to be led by Matthew Cunningham Cook. It's a 90-minute workshop that goes over the recent history of attacks on public sector pensions, key terms and definitions of this complex subject, and examples of workers successfully beating back the employer's push to take away their hard-won hard benefits. Through this interactive workshop, participants will gain a comprehensive understanding of what it means to fight for their pension and action plans for organizing coworkers to defend their retirement. 
Matthew Cunningham Cook is a reporter at The Lever and former public pension specialist for the CWA, as well as a proud ex-Labor Notes intern. Registration is 10 bucks. You can, again, as with all of these, register at labornotes.org slash events uh, and check that out. Uh, as Ellen mentioned, there is the caucus how-to workshop that she will be leading on July 6th uh from 8 to 9 p.m eastern closed captions will be turned on uh, if there's other accommodations just reach out to labor notes and, and they'll do their best to, to help you out there uh but i think that's going to be a great workshop for those of you who who are trying to figure out how to revive and revitalize your union uh it's going to be a great opportunity on july 6th and also the last one i wanted to mention is the secrets of a successful organizer uh, they will have this workshop series back in July. It's going to be on Wednesdays from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on July 12th, 19th, and 26th. And they do ask that you attend all three workshops in the series. It's based on their widely acclaimed book, Secrets of a Successful Organizer. I'm actually rereading that book right now. Uh, I think it's great. I think these trainings are, are a great opportunity if you want to learn more about organizing. And that could be in your workplace. It could be community or political organizing uh, because things like beating apathy, uh, assembling your dream team, turning an issue into a campaign, right? Those have pretty broad resonance, whether you're uh, in a union environment or a potential union environment, or like I said, you're, you're doing more political or community organizing work. Uh, and it's only a $15 cost for the entire series. And um, if you would like, you can actually do for 30 bucks, you get the the three workshops and a subscription to the magazine, a one year subscription to the magazine for 30 bucks. So uh, that's a good deal. But if if you're interested, definitely check out labornotes.org slash events for more information. And that's it, folks, for I believe this is now the 16th episode of Shop Talk. I uh, hope it was worth your time, and I really appreciate everyone listening. If you enjoyed it, please share with your network and uh, make sure that you're plugged into our work. Just a reminder that the Valley Labor Report is a working-class media collective dedicated to lifting up labor struggles throughout Alabama and across the South. We bring you Alabama's only union talk radio show every Saturday morning with the first half from 9.30 to 11 a.m. live on FM radio through WVNN here in the Huntsville listening area. The entire program is online via Facebook, YouTube, and podcast, and portions of the program are replayed on WZZA in the Shoals and WHIV out of New Orleans. So stay tuned to the Valley Labor Report on our Saturday morning feed, 9.30 a.m. Central, live on WVNN, YouTube, and Facebook and sign up for our email list at tvlr.fm. Definitely encourage you to check out our website. Um, we're publishing news and commentary relevant to working people, and we have our email newsletter that you can sign up for. And while you're there, you can check out our merch at tvlr.fm store. And finally, we rely on donations and sponsorships to put out all of this free content. We appreciate the local unions and organizations that have sponsored ads on our main Saturday show. Uh, we are looking for more sponsors for Overtime and Shop Talk. Really appreciate Labor Notes for uh, signing on as a sponsor for Shop Talk. Really do appreciate their support there. Uh, as much as we love and support our, our sponsors and advertisers, uh, our single biggest source of contributions comes from listener donations uh, from folks like yourselves chipping in a couple bucks, you know. And uh, you can make a one-time donation or a recurring contribution at tvlr.fm slash donate. We have a Patreon if you prefer to donate that way. Uh, you can even mail a, a good old-fashioned check to our P.O. box in Huntsville. And whether you donate, share, subscribe, or just listen, we really do appreciate your support, and we can't do it without you. So please don't forget to like, review, share, and subscribe. If you share our mission to grow the Southern labor movement, if you share our belief in the power of solidarity and collective organization, if you want media that is for working people, by working people, please consider becoming a recurring donor at tvlr.fm slash donate. All power to the work.